Yat A, hello. Welcome to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots, hosted by yours truly, Vicky Katsuli Boy Oldman. I am a lover of stories, a connector, and a holder of wisdom keepers. Each month, we will be connecting with our Native relatives and exploring what medicine our guests share and offer to us. Please join me on this uncharted journey to learn, connect, and reflect. Ayahat, thank you. For those of you that are new, I always love to read from Indigenous authors. One of my favorite is this gentleman by the name of Richard Magamese, and he's Canadian and Indian. Okay, here we go. Open sharing of knowledge bridges gaps. It's amazing sometime how it works. The old one had told me a few years back when I was visiting almost weekly, reintroducing myself to the traditional, spiritual, and philosophical ways of my people, that there would be times when I would be asked to give it back. I had no idea what he meant, but these days it displayed to me regularly. Walking past a steel yard last week, a small group of boys were roughhousing. The victim of their bully was a young Native boy with long braids. They were laughing, pushing, and teasing in all ways kids do once the pack instinct sets in. However, it was obvious that the young Indian boy wasn't having a very good time. When he started crying, they threw a few more jibes his way and left, laughing at some kind of victory. He was still sniffling when I approached him. After making sure he was uninjured and after polishing off a Coke at a nearby 7-Eleven, he started telling me about the ruckus. The kids were roughing him up over his hair. They called him a little girl, squaw, sissy, and told him he wasn't really an Indian since he and his mother were living in town. His mother made him wear his hair braided ever since he was a toddler, and he got used to being that way. The only explanation he ever received about it was, quote, because that's the way Indian men wear their hair. He was crying because he felt his hair was the root of his troubles in the playground, and he didn't understand why he had to wear it that way. So I explained to him that the old one had told me, the process of braiding hair is like a prayer, he said. Each of the three strands in a single braid represents many things. In one instance, they might represent faith, honesty, and kindness. In another, they might be mind, body, and spirit, or love, respect, and tolerance. The important thing, he explained, was that each strand has taken as representative of one essential human quality. As the men or the woman braided their hair, they concentrated or meditated on those three qualities. Once the braid was complete, the process was repeated on the other side. Then, as they walked through the day, they had visible daily reminders of the human qualities they needed to carry through life with them. The old one said they had at least about 20 minutes out of their day when they focused themselves entirely on spiritual principles. In this way, the people they came in contact with were the direct beneficiaries of that inward process. So braids, he said, reflect the true nature of Aboriginal people. 
They reflect a people who are humble enough to ask the creator for help and guidance on a daily basis. They reflected true human qualities within the people themselves, ideas they sought to live by, and they reflected a deep and abiding concern for the planet, for the life, their people, and themselves. Each time you braid your hair, he told me, you become another in a long line of spiritually based people, and your prayer joins the countless others that have been offered up to the Creator since time began. You become a part of a rich and vibrant tradition. As a young boy listened, I could see the same going on his face that must have gone on my own. Suddenly, a braid became so much more than a hairstyle or a cultural signature. It became a connection to something internal as well as external, a signpost to identity, tradition, and self-esteem. The word Indian, Native, and Aboriginal took on new meaning and new impact. As T walked away smiling, I knew from my own experience that he would handle the jibes, the insults on the playground in a new, stronger way, just as I had in the larger adult world. And that's the thing of it. When the old one told me that there would come a time when I would have to give it all back, he met the process of sharing what I had learned and gained. This small boy in the playground was just one example. When Aboriginal people in Canada talk about necessity for healing in order to build stronger communities and better relations with outside people and government, it implies a responsibility. That responsibility is sharing, an open, fearless sharing of those things that define us mentally, spiritually, and philosophically. Just as that small boy became bigger through the passing on of knowledge, so too can Canadian societies become wider through an intimate understanding of Aboriginal reality. As the old one knew, healing has to come from the inside. By bringing politics down to the people, by explaining Aboriginal issues in the language of the living room by way of personal experience, bridges can be built between people. In this way, the old one said, Life itself becomes a prayer. Oh, I've read this a couple of times and I love it. I've heard different renditions about the braiding and I love how he shared how it was your shield, your protective bubble. I also really appreciated him mentioning how our old one spent 20 minutes to connect with something higher than you so that you come out and who you connect with is a direct benefit of where you're coming from. The overall message is it's our responsibility to share. It's our responsibility to give back. Thank you, Richard. I have two guests. You guys have the delight and the pleasure and the gift of meeting two beautiful souls that I've gotten to meet in these past couple of years. My first friend and guest is Brian Parker. I actually met him through work. We were in South Dakota going somewhere north. He picked me up in the van and he was picking up people and I got to hear his story about who he is and how he came to be working with this organization. I just found it really intriguing about his upbringing. And we've stayed in contact since. He's also an artist. His artwork is beautiful, powerful. It's different. It has a lot of messages and the colors are so vibrant. I have a couple of his prints in one of my spaces here. So if you don't know him and his artwork, check it out. His work is amazing. My friend here, Brian Parker, is with us. Along with him is this beautiful woman that I met through him. 
I heard of her name from another friend of mine. Her name is Lori Poyer. One day, Lori was wearing this beautiful piece on her ear. I couldn't stop looking at it. I'm like, what? Who made that? I want a pair. And she's, oh, this woman by the name of Molina Parker. And I'm like, oh, I've never heard of her. And like, that's Brian's wife. I'm like, oh. Anyway, I connected with Brian. I'm like, connect us. I want a pair of earrings. I have the honor of owing. I own a couple of her pieces. And her work is meticulous. It is quality materials that she uses. It's beautiful. It's different. She's really built a name for herself as well. She actually had several of her pieces with B. Yellowtail. I don't know if you all know who that is. If you don't, you need to and look her up. Also recently was recognized as one of these indigenous beaters in Vogue magazine. That's a big deal. You know, she does other things besides the beaded earrings. She also makes dolls, which, oh my God, they're beautiful as well. She also volunteers and she's a part of the community. So both these individuals definitely give back to the community. I'm just so delighted that you're both here. Welcome, Brian. Welcome, Melina. Please bring your voice into the space and say hello to our listeners. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Vicki. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And it's an honor and pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. This is new for me. <laughs> He's not new to the whole talking about what he does a lot. And I, I'm usually like the hermit that sits in his studio all the time. <laughs> but thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I'm the one who's so honored. And so thank you for agreeing to do this. Before I ask you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, I'm curious what spoke or landed for you when I read that story? Well, for me personally, my brother and I, we grew up in the border town that borders the res by about an hour. We were born and raised in Rapid City. And when he started growing his hair out, him and my cousins, they were taunted like that a lot in town by white people. So that's what triggered me. My brother has kept his long hair, but the other two cousins that were growing their hair out at the same time, I think were shamed out and never grew their hair out long again after that. So that's what spoke to me. I always wanted to have long hair when I was a kid. When I was a youth, my parents wouldn't allow me to do that. I don't think there was any really like specific reason. I think they just, you know, wanted me to have like a clean cut appearance. I don't really connect with it in that way, but hearing you speak the words about prayer, just having that sort of balance or harmony with your surroundings, I connected with that. The beautiful part about what you read was the process and the care and the love that went into putting those braids together and sending off that loved one into the world. I just think about all the times that my parents or my sister or my in-laws and whoever was a figure at that point in time that kind of offered me that care. I just think about them and all the, the things that, that they taught me or all, all the conversations we had, all the wonderful memories. And it's just nice to kind of picture like that, that connection. As you were talking, it made me think about for us as the net people, the men wear a CA, so does the woman. Hair is very sacred, but you just don't go touching people's hair. I remember like when growing up, non-native people would always want to go and touch your hair. And you're like, no, stand back. <laughs> and like for the men, they would say the only two people who should touch your hair, are three technically like you, yourself, right? Your mother or a relative that you trust. And if you end up getting married, your spouse. That's it. No one else should touch your hair. It signifies wisdom and different tribes probably have different meaning for it. Science wise, they know like hair holds memory. 
just blows me away how our indigenous people didn't need to have science to back up the fact of how sacred our body is and what it holds. Thank you for sharing. And folks, as I read the story, if it did trigger you to just give yourself some grace and some compassion, hopefully the story offers some healing in that it's a form of protection and it has a lot of wisdom. Talking about where you're both from and your background, I'd love for you guys to share a little bit about yourself. You both said earlier, I didn't grow up like Molina and Molina like grew up on the Resnia or border town. Tell us a little bit about what life was like when you grew up and maybe your parents. So give us a picture there. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was adopted pretty much after birth when I was still an infant. So my adopted mother who's been my mother my whole life. She is Muskogee Creek, and my father was Mississippi Choctaw. I grew up and lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, up until I was about 21. And life from birth to that age of 21, for me, was different from Elena because I went to a school, a public school that that was predominantly non-Native. So my only interactions with the natives, people who look like me or similar to me, was from my family. And the only time that I really was around my family were on the major holidays, family gatherings, family celebrations, and those unfortunate times with deaths, with people passing on. So, and I should say um, church. I grew up in a Christian household. Church was like, was my tradition, I guess you could say, my my cultural upbringing and the way that that I was just, that was the time I was with my other Native family members. That's how I grew up. And it wasn't until I went to art school in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the Institute of American Indian Arts that I was around other Natives and other, not just other Natives that looked like me and sounded like me, people that had the same spirit or the same energy. That's actually where I met Molina was at II in 2009. That's just a quick glimpse of how I grew up. I really am thankful that I was given the life that, that I had as a young person and given that sort of chance. My parents did a lot for me and they made sure that I was loved and well taken care of, as did my sister and everyone else in, in both sides of the family. And so I feel very fortunate to have grown up that way and have been given a lot of opportunities and been able to travel and do a lot of fun things as a kid. I'm always grateful for that, but I always kind of longed for more of that cultural upbringing that I knew that was missing in my life. And that wasn't my parents' fault. You know, that's just the way it was. That's just the way I was brought up. But it wasn't until I went to the Institute of American Indian Arts and meeting other Native people from all over that kind of journey began for me and really beginning to learn about myself. You know, we're talking about connection and really feel that connection. I grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota. My grandparents moved to the city, which is just a border town. When my grandpa got out of the Navy and they got married, they raised their children there. And then we were this like second generation to be born and raised there. But I too went to school with predominantly white people, maybe a different class of white people than Brian did. (laughs) The few natives that we did have in the school, we always managed to find each other went through school together but I grew up my mom was a single mother to two children and my aunt was a single mother to a son they raised us together so I was raised in a house with my auntie my mom my brother my cousin 
I grew up going to powwow. My grandpa was an Episcopalian minister, so we actually we spent a lot of time in the church too, but he did it in a way that matched culture and religion together. And he was him and my grandmother were fluent Dakota speakers too, so most of the services were done in his first language. I was really close to my grandparents and my grandmother taught me, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do now, she taught me how to sew, embroider, feed, as well as my mom and aunties. Like I grew up in a really, I don't even know what you call it. There's so many artists in the Tubles family that I come from and Ten Fingers family. And it was just always all around me. There's people beading, sewing, painting, whatever. We did it all. I came up that way and I came up deep in my culture and with my people. Like Brian said, we met in 2009 at I, I, when we were at the school. Here we are. Now we both live in Red Shirt now, which is right as you come into the Pine Ridge Indian Institution. Well, it sounds like both of you really had the gift of being in a household of love. Yes. Sure. Yep. Yeah. A household of love, family, and some values that were really displayed. I'm really curious, Molina, about growing up with cousins and aunties and most households, I think more Western, it's very nuclear, right? Like mom, dad, brother, sister. For most indigenous communities, it's never really like that. It's the family and then it's the grandma and the cousins and the aunties. And sometimes it's like a revolving door sometimes. Sometimes you'll have a relative come for a couple of months. You just don't know how long and then they leave. And like the door is always open. Thinking about all the learnings that you experience and see and witness with that. Yeah, they came together in a way and their sisters, they took on those roles. My mom was definitely the disciplinarian. My auntie was like the fun-loving, cool aunt. And our house was very much that house. We had cousins and uncles and all different kinds of family were always in and out of our house. That was, it was always loud in our house. When my family comes over and Brian, I think he gets a little overwhelmed because we're all just like, well, you know, (laughs) and that's what we're used to. My grandparents, they didn't live with us, but they were always close to us. I thought of them as my parents too, right? I was with them all the time. I always told everyone I was their favorite granddaughter, which I still think is true. And uh, <laughs> it's just other people, I feel bad for people that didn't grow up in that way because they didn't get to experience all of that love and laughter and joy that comes with being around so many people. Yeah, it just, it felt normal. It felt like it. we were always laughing. <laughs> we're always telling jokes. He's learned to develop a thicker skin, the way we rib on each other. Uh, yeah, it was all love. It was good. We had a good childhood. Or I did. <laughs> Me too. I, what I appreciate about what you had shared, Brian, earlier is that being adopted and then really finding yourself, learning about your culture. And it's like going back to what I was reading earlier about, you know, learning and finding the people, right, along your journey, finding people who was willing to show and share what they did know and having that kind of infuse you. And I also appreciate you saying, I'm still learning. I'm still continuing to learn. So I really appreciated that. Thank you. Yeah, I failed to mention that I was adopted Muskogee Creek in Mississippi, Choctaw. 
but my biological mother is White Mountain Apache. About nine years ago, I had my adoption records opened. When I started to, to take being an artist more seriously and wanting to participate in art shows like Santa Fe Indian Art Market and shows like that, you need to have proof of enrollment or a CDID card or proof that you're enrolled in a federally recognized tribe. I told my parents, this is something that is important. That's going to allow me to pursue being an artist full-time and professionally. They had my adoption records open. That's where we learned some information, you know, on, on who my biological parents were. And so Melina being the awesome social media detective that she is, took it upon herself to try to find out and locate my birth mother. And it was something that was a little sensitive to me, of course, because I'd gone my whole life not knowing who that person is and who my other family is. I, I was really hesitant at first. I didn't want her to do it. And then and she kept encouraging it and saying, come on, aren't you curious? And yes, I was curious, but I just, I wasn't ready to go to that place yet. But thinking that it would take her a lot longer than it did, I said, yeah, I finally gave in and said, yeah, go ahead. And here it wasn't even like 20 minutes later, she's found her. <laughs> and I was like, what? No way. And she was like, no, she's, oh my God, you look just like her. Do you want to see? And I was just like, no, I can't. Because I just, I thought like, you know, I was nervous. Be like looking in the mirror type of thing is what I was thinking. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. It took me a while to warm up to that. So I finally did. And she had reached out to my half-sister, broke the ice that way and said, hey, I think my husband was adopted at birth. And I think you guys might be related. And please message me back if you want to, but I understand if you don't. And sure enough, she messaged back. Yeah, it was true. Fast forward to some time after that, she was coming up to South Dakota to Rosebud, right? Rosebud Reservation, which is just next door to Pine Ridge Reservation. And her job was she was taking a child back, right? It's like CPS. Like a CPS position. So she was taking a kid to be with the family. I thought that was crazy because here she is, like, we didn't know each other and, and she was doing a job that was kind of almost similar to like us meeting or me finding her. You know, there was real similar, creepy, like awesome similarities there. But I remember the day that she pulled up into our parking lot at the apartment we were staying at the time and I went out to greet her and as soon as she got out of the car, like her jaw just dropped and her eyes were like big and she was like, oh my God, you look just like my mom. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so weird, but cool. And that did kick off that journey to, to find out who I am and where I came from. It was a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, that we finally made that journey down to the White River Res in Arizona. We were invited to attend a sunrise ceremony, which is a, a young woman's coming of age ceremony in, in the White Mountain Apache culture. And almost felt like that ceremony was for me, even though it wasn't, but I felt like it was for me because I was getting to learn about the culture. I was getting to meet family that I'd never met. It was so beautiful, that whole experience, because it's almost like I existed in that family the whole time. Like they just welcomed me with arms wide open, took such great care of us. And it was just so beautiful. I'll never forget that. And our daughter was with us, a true joy to have her be there to witness that and to meet that family. Yeah, what, a, what an amazing time. Yeah, as you're telling the story, my heart is just swole. I'm like, oh, I'd be like bawling. I'm sure you guys were bawling. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. The whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's like a missing piece, right? You're happy, you're grateful about your life and you're continuing to learn. And then this piece, it's like this missing piece, you find it and then like, ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Good job, Melina. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like she's pretty persistent. She is. She's awesome. (laughs) I'm so glad that your daughter got to witness that. Oh, yeah. And my half-sister has a two daughters, but the daughter that, that Bobby, my daughter, connects with the most is, is a year older than her. My daughter's eight and my niece, Ayana, is nine. And so, like, they've been in constant connection ever since. And it's just really awesome to see her get to, to have that experience pretty much from a young age. She's going to grow up with that and knowing that's her cousin. And it's just it's so awesome. It's beautiful because you have relatives all over. It's this is such a beautiful story. Absolutely. When you guys met at IAIA, which is the Institute for American, in, did I say that right? Yeah. Institute of American Indian Arts. Thank you. Who was all googly eye first? I got word back that she is checking me out. No, yeah. just <laughs> in all honesty, I think we like noticed each other here and there. How we met came about from a really horrific, shocking and sad situation, a really great mutual friend of ours and her cousin and brothers had passed away. When everyone got word, everyone on campus knew our friend. He was friends with everyone. And he was just that beautiful soul that everybody knew. He was quiet, yeah, hilarious, and just a beautiful person inside and out. When the whole campus got news of his passing and where it took place, you know, everyone just naturally just gathered there to comfort one another and But I remember one of my friends at the time, one of my good friends had already known Melina a little bit and was asking if she wanted to come out, hang out with us and go have dinner. And that's when my friend had found out. I was like, no way, that can't be right. So we just dropped everything and rushed back to campus and went over to the apartment that they were staying at. And sure enough, it was true. And I just, I lost it because, because my friend, that person was the first person that I had met during orientation when I started, the first person that I had a connection with, because we had both served in the military. We had both got deployed to Iraq. So we had that connection as veterans. And when I learned of his passing, I went over to where he had lived and where he left the world. And I just, I couldn't take it. It was a lot as it was for everyone. And I remember Molina, I kind of like took off in the opposite direction to collect myself, but also just let it out and not Melina, not even knowing who I, I was, just being the awesome person that she is, just came up to me and gave me the biggest most comforting hug that I've ever had. I didn't know it at the time, but thinking about it after we met and started hanging out with each other, I thought, wow, that, that was really special. And I just knew like that her heart was so big and, you know, a heart made of gold. And I just knew like that, that we had something special, I would say. I didn't expect to be crying. (laughs) (laughs) She's been my best friend since. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it is because you could have just stood over with the rest of the people and just been like, oh, man, I feel bad for that guy. But no, she having a heart of gold, she just came over and comforted me, forgot about herself and selflessly comforted me in that moment. And that's how that's how we really like met. And the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been able to shake him soon. Yeah. Well, it just shows also, like, I, I love how you're lifting her and just acknowledging the beautiful soul that she is. And I contribute that to the people that raised her. They showed you that it's okay to be 
vulnerable. I think that's what's so beautiful when being in ceremony, right? When we're amongst our relatives, it's okay to cry, man or woman. It's actually a gift. We see it that way. We don't, we don't shame or we're not like, I'm too man, too manly to cry or whatever, <laughs> like this strong stoic kind of look. It's a release, right? The one thing that I really wanted to talk about is talking about what makes you both an artist. I know that Melina, you grew up around a whole bunch of artists. And and Brian, clearly you're an artist because you went to IAI. There was something there, right? I would love to hear how you all knew, like, this is where I know I'm being pulled to. And that is art. When you think about growing up, it's like coloring and we forget how big art is. It's not just coloring or making something. It's bigger than that. Tell us a little bit about what art brings you and how you knew like this was your path. I did grow up around it and it was something that I had always had an interest in. My mom started me beating at a very young age. She says I was about five or six when I started beating. Throughout the years, I learned different techniques. It was something I always did as extra income because like I said, my mom was a single mother. So if I wanted like different shoes or something that she couldn't afford, I always seemed to have money because I was always selling things. So growing up, to me, at first, it was just a way for me to support myself. It was always my side hustle. Once I graduated from high school and started going to college, it was just something I did in my past term just for a little extra income here and there. And then my grandma got sick. She got cancer in, I believe it was 2007 or eight, And she was really encouraging me to go to art school. She wanted me to get out of South Dakota for a while, expand my horizons, because I had been playing with going to IA for quite a while. And so I finally went, and it was then that I realized this is really what I want to do. I have a passion for it. I feel like I'm good at it. <laughs> I know that sounds vain, but I felt like I was good at it, and I really wanted to see how far I could go with it. We actually had a lot of hard times after, so I, I fell back into my beating again to support us when our jobs couldn't support because rent was insane. It wasn't until maybe a few years ago that I really felt like, okay, I have a plan. This is what I want to do. And of course, the Yellowtail really helped expand my platform, which was amazing. I got all these new followers. And then I'm just really enjoying doing all these jewelry pieces, going to art shows. I was having fun. And then I lost my grandpa last year. I couldn't bead for the longest time because when I bead, it's more like muscle memory because I've been doing it for so long and I needed something else that would just keep my mind occupied. So I started to learn or teach myself textiles. I had a sewing machine that I traded a friend for and I just got to work. So I've only been doing dolls for about a year now and I'm having the most fun with it. It's helped me overcome that grief. And I think that's really what's beautiful about artists is you don't have to narrow yourself down to one medium or different one style of thing. You can do everything. That's all in everything we do. Even when I'm braiding my daughter's hair or getting dressed for the day or whatever, it's in everything that we do. I think that growing up around artists and seeing that it helped me see that I could do whatever I want to do and have fun with it. So it's been therapeutic for me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. In the late 80s and 90s, I would just find like books or magazines and draw like cartoon characters that that I would see in those things. And that's kind of how I taught myself how to draw. 
my my uncle, some of their kids were artists and really great artists to this day. But but nobody like in my immediate family like had any talent. As my dad used to say, I can't even draw a stick figure. So I had to learn myself and being inspired just by the things that were of my time, of my youth, which would be movies and music, MTV and VH1 back then. And so just seeing all the bright colors and just weird visuals and things were my inspiration. But that's how I learned how to draw. And that's the only thing I ever felt like I was truly good at. I played sports as a youth, but I wasn't like an athlete in that way, even though I enjoyed playing sports and was fortunate enough to always be like on the winning team and like little league and stuff. So it made me feel good. But a funny story from high school would be that there was this, there was this girl that, that I had a crush on and she was a cheerleader and she had found out I had a crush on her and she didn't like me, but she thought she was like hot stuff. And I remember we were both like in art club. Then the big school art show came up and she was like telling everybody like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to enter in the show and I'm going to win and blah, blah, blah. And she was kind of like, you know, rude to me a lot and stuff. I was like, you know what? I'm going to enter that art show too. And so I entered four or five pieces. I can't remember, but the day of the opening of that show in the library at high school, everybody went to see like the art and see who won. And I remember seeing her get all upset and walk away. And here I went to go look at my pieces and I had won all of the awards. I was just like, yeah, that's right. And I just walked out like of the library all like happy and head up high and chest out and everything. And I would end up taking an art advertising design class at a local vocational school, the Votech school, Tulsa Tech in Tulsa there, and not really liking the advertising side of it. I had a great instructor and I learned a lot of cool things. One time we had a guy come in who was a sports character artist. He did a lot of sports illustrations, like baseball cards, football cards, things like that, and did portraits of different sports athletes. He came into our class one time and taught a Prisma color pencil class. That's kind of like where everything snapped into place for me. And I was like, I had learned this new technique. I felt like I was good at it. Not a master, but just felt like I was good at it and felt proud of myself. It was enough to like push me down the road a little further to see how I could expand upon that. Life happened. And at that time in my youth, I didn't feel like I really had a good sense of direction. So I enlisted in the army right after 9-11 got shipped to Iraq. When I was over there, I had purchased Sony camcorder. And I thought, hey, I'm going to document my whole time here. I'm going to interview my fellow soldiers. I'm going to just capture everywhere I'm going that I can, because some places we couldn't take pictures or whatever because of the top secret of, of the missions and things and stuff like that. So when I could, I would document what I was doing. That's also when it clicked for me, like, hey, I really like this. When I get done and when I get out, I'm going to go to school and try to study this. I got out spring of 2005 and I went home and I was feeling the effects of being like in a combat area. And my dad, having been a Vietnam veteran, was like, you know what? You're not going to sit at home. I understand like, you know, you went through some stuff and you're feeling it, but pick out three schools in the country, anywhere, any school you want in the country. And we'll go take a road trip and visit those schools because that's what I want you to do. I want you to get back into it and just not sit around and feel sorry for yourself type of thing. I picked three schools. Two of them were out in California. We took a long road trip from Oklahoma to California and I don't recommend it. It's just crazy long, even though it's beautiful along the way. It's just crazy long. But we went out there, we went to Santa Barbara, we went to LA and checked out these really prestigious film schools. We both liked them, but my dad was like, I don't know, it's really far away. And 
do you really think these places are for you? And of course, me just seeing like Hollywood in my eyes, I was like, yeah, this is where I want to be. And he's like, we still have one more school left. So on the way back to Oklahoma, we stopped in Santa Fe, New Mexico and visited IAIA. My family didn't know anything about IAIA, which is crazy because having gone there and being an alumni now, like it has such a rich and prestigious history. A lot of the great native artists went to IAIA and founded it and made it into what it is today. And I had heard about it, oddly enough, through chat rooms when I was in Iraq and when I was able to connect with people, like I somehow found out about it. And so like, that's what I picked for my last school. We stopped there and I was, the campus was nice, but it was still like up and coming and it's where it is now. It wasn't the old campus at the Santa Fe art school. And so I remember thinking like, I don't know, it's small. Santa Fe is like gorgeous, but I don't know if this is it for me. And he was like, you know what, just enroll here. Try it out for a semester or a year. And if you don't like it, well, then maybe you could try to get into those other schools. I went to IEI and it was the best thing I ever did. We were talking about earlier, that's where I started to find myself. And that's where I met Molina. And that's where I met friends that are lifelong friends and just really got inspired to pursue all my creative dreams. And that's like how, what brought me, obviously Molina brought me up here, but that's what brought me to this point where I'm at in my life. Cause now I work for a native arts nonprofit organization. And I get to work alongside artists and really do work in the community. And some of those artists that I work with, I went to IA with, or they have gone to II since I graduated, or maybe even way back in the day. And so there's like still this connection of that school and all that creative expression. And I'm really grateful for my family, especially my dad encouraging me, but I'm also grateful for the relationships that I made going to art school and even more so grateful for you know, meeting Molina and us like having an awesome life together. Thank you both for sharing that. It took so much just hearing and listening from both of you about what art has done for you. And one thing that really came up from both of you, you both had said is, yeah, and I know you both were saying it humbly. I learned that I was actually pretty good at this. So usually people will say, you're really good at this. So you hear it. I think that's important for us as indigenous people, humbly, when we know that we're good at something, it's follow that intuition, right? Follow that path because something is pulling you there and to own it. You know, I feel like a lot of times we're not gentle with ourselves and saying, yeah, usually when we're good at something, it's because you really like it. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. enjoy it. Yes. So there's that. I wanted to lift that. The other thing that you both said in your own way is how this art form has healed you. It's a very healing process. And when you, when I see these art pieces, when I wear one of your earrings, I'm like, I know that Melina touched this. She had good intentions and thoughts as she was beating it. I don't know what you were thinking when you were creating it, but I hear from artists that they put themselves so much into whatever they're creating. And both of you also had said like how a lot of external influences also affect what you're creating, which I think is beautiful because that also ties into the last thing that I heard you both say in that don't be afraid to try other modalities, other forms, because it, it really creates new ways of doing things or seeing things differently in, in whatever you're creating. And I know, Brian, you had talked about the video. I wondered where you got that experience because you're really good at making videos. I've seen a couple oh. of your little short movies and your clips. I'm like, yeah, you're really good at that too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So we try to foster that in our daughter too. She's already showing an interest in doing what we both do. I said, I, I don't know if I'm the best teacher. I feel like her assistant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
She's like, do this, do that. Oh, and can you do this as well? But just encouraging her to, and this is what I tell a lot of people who attend the classes, the art classes for the organization that I program with, or program for, you just got to like make a mark on the paper. That's the first step. And so that's what I try to tell my daughter is just don't be afraid to pick up that paintbrush or that pencil and just make a mark on the paper. That's the first step. And don't be afraid to like mess up. I don't think there you can really mess up because you could always paint over it or whatever. And sometimes those things that we think are mistakes are actually happy accidents or those are they unlock the next step or something that, that's going to put you in the right path. We're talking about maybe you'll discover something else that you like about it and that'll shoot you off in another creative direction. But yeah, we really try to encourage her just to like mark, make marks. And I let her use all of my materials because I don't ever want to discourage her. I want her to, in the future, as she grows up, I want her to pick up those materials and be confident and comfortable with them. It's amazing that you both are really just, she's going to be like, she grows up, holy moly. Yeah. I know all forms of art medium and it'll be interesting to see how she finds her path and what that will look like. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> you guys are a great job, doing a great job in raising her in that way. Actually, really, when you think about it, when, about the story I read, it's about passing on, about sharing, right? Both of you are very involved in the community. You're in touch with the community. You stay connected in the community. And knowing about how art has helped you all, what do you think our communities, our Indigenous communities need more of? What are you hoping for our Native relatives and communities, particularly in, in how art has moved you both? I, I really try to encourage, especially my cousins, don't think a lot of or don't get the value of the work that they're putting out. I have so many talented cousins who just sell alongside the road and don't sell it for nearly just enough for gas money or whatever. I wish I could... Give them the confidence to really put themselves out there and get what they're worth. That's always disheartening to me to see that. I also would love to see more programming in the schools with the art. I know our little girl, she has a powwow club at school. And so her one of her teachers and I have been talking about doing some kind of after school program where we teach kids how to clean or to clean or to sew or just whatever like a home ec class really because they took art out of a lot of these schools and these reservation schools are no different and we need that and it's been proven that when you do art it heals part of your brain to be able to open up to do other things like your homework whatever it may be that's what I would like to see in the community is more art more emphasis on it's more healing more just more I want more for everybody. Yeah, I guess I don't have too much to add to that. I too want to see more of, a, of an encouragement and a celebration of arts in all mediums and not just, I want people to get away from this idea or this limit that are having limitations on art. It's only, there's only painting, drawing, sculpting, whatever. And those are amazing mediums. And there's so much beautiful work that's come out of that, meaningful in many ways, but just, I want, all other art forms to be accepted in that way too. Spoken word is something that that we've been doing obviously since the beginning of time, but it, and it's just now feels like it's been catching on in the last maybe 10 years or maybe even 
just a little bit longer than that, but it's gaining some traction and really being like celebrated. And I know that's done wonders for a lot of youth. So that's been their creative outlet and though obviously their way of healing and keeping them here in this world. And so I just want to see more inclusion of other art forms and more celebrations of that. And also I would really like people would start sharing their knowledge more with others and instead of just being these like gatekeepers or whatever and thinking that they're the first ones to have ever done that style of work. I hear and see that so much people get upset with other people because if no, I'm the first one who's, you're copying me. I'm the only one who's ever done that. Who did you learn from? And who did they learn from? It's been around forever. And that's how we all have learned from our family, from our ancestors. And so I just want, I think my hope is that art continues to bring people together and heal, provide connection and creative solutions for us to thrive, to be better. And I think it's been pushed down our throats a lot too, that to be a successful artist, you need to have gallery representation or you need to have your work in a museum or whatever it may be. And those institutions, they weren't made for us. And I think once I finally realized that coming up, that I was able to just let that go and do what I wanted to do and not try to impress these white curators that could possibly get me a show. Once I started creating for me and for my community and to know that my community supported me as well, that was another thing I was unsure of. Like when we left Santa Fe, I thought, I'll never make it because all of the successful artists we have up here are men. That's like, they're never going to think of me as an artist because I work with beads. Let's go. It's such a woman's thing. But having moved back and making friends in the local art world here and seeing how much the community really supports us, it's been, it's changed my trajectory in a big way. I like to create so that my daughter and her friends and Everyone who comes after her can say, oh, wow, look, she's from where we're from. I just think that's cool. Yeah, I also wanted to say that there's this idea or thought about if you can't make it in Santa Fe or a city like Santa Fe, then, you know, you're not an artist. If you can't make it in those places, you're not an artist. Or if you don't participate in those prestigious art markets, you're not a true artist. I totally disagree. And it wasn't until like I've been through those things and started working more in the community and doing art more for myself that I realized that art is a gift. Art is an extension of your soul and it's a celebration of life and love. Once you, as a creative person, start making art for yourself, it opens up so much more and so many more things to be grateful for. And I, I just hope that folks can get more into that mindset and just celebrate each other. Hard just It's hard just being native. People like Gateguard different art forms and different things like that. It's just, it's just, man, it's just hard to be a native. Let's just, let's all just create and love together. Lift each other up constantly, not say, get mad over who's doing what, you know, first. Yeah. I just want to underscore that. It is so hard just being native, right? And we're small, a small group in this world and we need to support each other. There's so much that you guys said here that <laughs> needs to be like highlighted. And one of the biggest things I'm taking away in how you all have continued to expand your work and is really coming back to finding out your own worth. And there are a lot of artists out there who feel, who undervalue their art form. And part of it is the confidence of them. There's a belief in their mind that I'm not good enough or the scarcity mindset. And I will say, I'm putting it out there, I'm blaming the institution. 
I remember being in school. You're not good at this. You need to be here or you should do that versus opening it up. And oh, that's a great start. Play some more. As you were saying, Brian, like just start, right? Just start. And I took a long time paint, like to, to feel comfortable and just plain. One evening, my guys and I, we had bought all kinds of acrylic paint and we would have painting nights. I wanted to be really good for the first art piece. So I was watching all kinds of YouTube videos and the guys just sat having a good time. And I was like, step by step watching the video. And then I remember the third time we were doing this, my oldest son said, mom, just go with it, mom. Paint, what, how are you feeling? What color are you feeling? Just go with it. You don't need the video, mom. And I was like, no, I do. I need the video. Eventually I got away from that. I actually took a class called Painting Fearlessly. That was the best thing I did. And then I took another class about just doodling. I just kept taking different art classes and bought this big old journal. And every day I made a commitment to paint something, draw something, write something. Melina, you were saying something about it opens a whole new pathway, right? If teachers and even I think even within organizations immerse more art, even if it's fun, I think people's thought process will shift. The creativity will come out. A lot of times the solution is in there because we're not overthinking. We're just letting it go. I try yeah. to take every class that FPF offers through the Rolling Res Arts program. And doing that, I've taken like quilting classes, printing, other sewing classes, just all these different things. And it's so funny how they're all related. You're like, wow, mm. I could use this technique here and they're just pulling from what different people know. It's so cool. It all works together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's on the horizon for you both? And like both of you are doing amazing things. And I know you're humble about some of the achievements you both have received. And I'm curious, what's in the near horizon or what are you guys hoping for in terms of the work that you're doing? I am on this doll trajectory. I really... Oh my gosh, I'm having so much fun with it. This latest doll I did, the wire form inside, so it should be sturdier. And so I really want to keep going with that. I've been looking at a lot of YouTube videos and what, but most of the videos finding they're working with clay. And I don't, I've worked with clay before. I like it, but it's not my thing. So I'm trying to figure out how to make it work for me. And I just want to get better at making clothes too. And my mom, Growing up, she was a seamstress, or she still is, and she works with clothes. She maybe not always had the most patience for me as far as that was concerned, because I was always repeating my questions, and I find myself feeling that way with her daughter, too. I want to get better at making clothes, but I can be better at making clothes for my dolls. And I really want to see where this goes. I'm excited. I'm hoping to hopefully land a show. I want to do a doll show, and I've had this idea for a while to do a show like a retrospective of my grandma's life. She grew up hauling water, chopping wood, real country girl, riding horse. And I've always wanted to do dioramas of scenes of her life. I really loved her. She was my favorite person in the world, my best friend. And I think it'd be really cool. And I've been, I've had this idea for about 10 years. And now that I'm finally here making dolls, I think I can do it. And that's what I want to do this year. It's really get into that finally. Because, you know, as an artist, you have all these great ideas, but you never have enough time, especially if you're a parent, because you have to respect their time too, right? So I hope this is the year that I get to do that finally. I'm just trying to be on Reservation Dog Season 3. 
<laughs> well, I have some friends. I can connect you with them. <laughs> I and I just want to be the guy in the background that that's walking and trips. Not even part of the dialogue. You just see this kick person fall in the background because that's me. <laughs> no, but for real, that would be. I would love to do something like that. Like, I I don't think I could be on that show, but who knows? But I would love to step out of my comfort zone in that way and try something new, something else new, some new form of expression. But I have a full-time job and I really love working in the community and doing what I do, getting to work with artists. And so in my free time, I just, I still continue to draw and paint. And I've been painting like a lot of just sometimes like in funny or cute or weird situations, just almost treating them like humans, like putting them in different things, situations like that. But I'm hoping as a 2D artist to move away from that type of imagery and just to do more complete scenes. There is an artist that I've been following and that we both know that's friends, family friends. Is that how you would say? Her name is Robin Tassinagini. She's a Navajo painter who lives in Santa Fe, but she has been like, besides Molina, she has been a huge inspiration on me as a painter. And so I'd really love to do like more complete scenes in my paintings. But as a videographer, I would love to do more projects like that involve community members and friends and family. To me, that's really meaningful. I, I went to school for videography and film production, like I mentioned, at, but I've never had the opportunity to, to set foot on a real movie set. And I would love to, to have that experience one day just to learn like how that whole operation is and to learn that more about how to create that movie magic. But I really don't have a desire to be in the film industry. Just something about that. I, it's just not for me, even though I really admire it and I'm passionate about that. But to me, what's more meaningful is just getting together a group of friends or some family members and trying to figure out how we can be creative with the resources we have. How can we tell a story and make it the best story we can with just an iPhone or a little camera and some lighting and making our own props and things like that? That's to me, that's so valuable. And that's what really drives me. And so I hope to do more little projects like that in the future. Yes. And I want to say when I was listening, I heard you both say think. I'm like, no, it's going to happen, Molina. And Brian, it's going to happen. So, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So thank you for that. And I love the dolls. I've been seeing them on Instagram. And it actually took me back. I remember when I was little, one of my friends, my neighbor's, she was really into powwow and her mom would make little powwow dresses for the Barbies. And I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh my God, can you like, can you imagine growing up having a doll that looked like you, right? Did that kind of where I got the idea. She made all of us granddaughters powwow regalia for our Barbies. I still have them. We've got a small glimpse into your world about how you grew up and how you found each other and how art has done so many things for you all and what you want for the community. What would you like for them to sit with? I'll say what I always tell Brian because he's always trying to quit. <laughs> Just keep going. Just keep going. Art heals. I believe that. So I'm always encouraging my friends to keep doing shows and to keep building inventory and building those skills. And I think that's something as self-employed people, we don't hear a lot of is that encouragement. So just keep encouraging people to keep going because it can be hard on artists. We get unnecessary critiques and people, like he said, they'll say, oh, I thought of that first or my family does that. You should be doing that. It's just to keep going. 
if it makes you happy and you feel good about it and it's helping you heal, just keep going. And I'd like to say, like, I, she said that sometimes I say, I want to quit. And that's, oh man, that I don't really, I don't want to quit making art, but I just, to me, like, art is sacred and it belongs 100% to me. And I just selfishly, I just want to just, keep it all to myself, not, and I don't mean keep all the work I make, just, but just keep all of energy and all of that love that I put just to myself and only, I only want to be the one to experience that besides like my daughter and Molina here. But I would just, having said that, I would just encourage people to not be afraid to put themselves out there that I would like to see for the community. There's so many talented artists out there, so many talented artists in all tribal nations on every res that we don't ever see or get to hear about. And it's not because their art isn't good. It, their art's amazing. It's just because there's not enough opportunities or maybe the people can't afford put themselves out there in that way because they're really busy trying to take care of their families or, or their communities or they're paying the bills. They're trying to be a good relative in that way and a good person. So I really just want to encourage people to put themselves out there because, wow. I've seen a lot of amazing talent and I know you have too, Vicky. And I just want people just to make art because it's fun and it's meaningful to ourselves. Mm, thank you. You all heard it, folks. Keep at it. Just keep at it. And you had said the word fatigue and it made me also think about there is a time for rest too, as an artist to and when you know that, then take the time to to restore yourself and also appreciate just acknowledging that some art pieces are sacred, that they're really meant for maybe for you only, because I feel like when we're in that space, we're getting help from our ancestors, or I like to call them team spirit, folks that we don't know, but they're with us. And sometimes it comes through on that form and it is meant to be just for you, right? Follow your intuition, follow what your body is saying as you're doing the artwork. So thank you so much, both of you. Fire round. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of fun questions that I want to ask you all. So whoever has the longest hair can go first. Hey. <laughs> all right. So the first one, and you both can answer this is, and this is you asking Brian and Brian asking you. And the question is, what's your favorite memory of us? I don't know if that's appropriate. No, that's not. It's <laughs> not. I think our favorite moment was when we found out we were going to have Bobby. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Our daughter. But to add something different to that. Wow. We've had a lot of great times and a lot of amazing experiences. We, we just got back recently, like a month ago from um, the island of Oahu, where Molina did an artist exchange. And that was like, happened at the right time. Because like Molina had mentioned, she lost her grandfather. We lost our grandfather last February. And then I lost my father in July. And so that was more than just an exchange of art and culture, it was, it was a time to heal and to find ourselves again and to be re-inspired. And so I, that, that's definitely always going to live on in my heart. And of course, like I said, meeting my biological family and then just spending the time that we can with our families now in Oklahoma and here in South Dakota. But I, I think one of the favorite memories, if I could, if I would say something, and I'm sorry, I know this is lightning around, but it's just like us coming up as creative people. Like when we first started to put ourselves out there as, as full-time or professional or whatever you want to call it, taking ourselves more seriously as artists, 
that was one of my favorite times because it was like we're putting our stuff on social media and like an artist that we admired or somebody like that was that we looked up to liked our picture or whatever or shared it or commented. Those are really good times because we were like, oh, my God, liked my art or this and that. And I think that was a really fun time. It's still happening. But like when it first happened, it was really cool because it was it kind of. Kind of, there was like that, what is the word I'm looking for? Made it all valid or we got, got that stamp of approval in that way. And so, yeah, I think that as somebody trying to put their self, put themselves out there in the world, it, it, that, that was a good time. What is your current favorite song? Every year, there's always like a song or two where I'm just like, oh my God, I love this song. I'm like, I have it on repeat. <laughs> oh my God. My current favorite song is the song called, I got to look it up real quick, but I think it's called Edge of the Ocean by stick figure and it's my current favorite song because like i just mentioned we were in oahu and so when we were cruising around the island in our little rental car we were listening to 98.5 island big island jam or something like that and anyway it was a song that kind of came on the radio and so it provided the soundtrack to our time over there yeah i'm still jamming that song i'm a huge adam's family fan and so of course i watched the new wednesday series and they had the cramps on there I couldn't believe it. And the all of these. Cramps? Yeah. The dance scene, the Guguma, and our daughter singing it now, too. It was so <laughs> cool that she knows who the cramps are now. Anything REM, too, I'll listen to over and over again. Losing my religion. And I'm such a 90s grunge girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. What is a good spy code name for you? What is a good spy code name for you? Gosh, I have no idea. Our, go daughter, our daughter calls him cute boy. Cute boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I walk in the door after work or anytime I just walk in the room, she's always, hey, cute boy. So, yeah, that's a good one. I'll go with that. Good one. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good spy name, but I really like it. Mine would be number one. Number one? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Own it. Own it. <laughs> That's a good one. It is. All right. I'll do one more. I'm looking at my list here. If you were to write a book, what would it be about? I've actually thought about this because I've wanted to do a book. You can see me. Your listeners can. I'm actually, I'm light-skinned. My great-grandfather was full-blood Irish. And that's the only white that we have in our bloodline. And somehow I came out the way I did and my grandma thought that was like the coolest thing my brother's dark everyone in my family is dark she never made me feel weird about it neither did anyone else and she was proud that I looked what she thought Irish people might look like and she also said I looked very Cheyenne which is what her great-grandmother was too I always wanted to write a book about my fellow light-skinned people just to be proud of who you are and own it I never felt weird about it I feel like I fit in with everyone I never feel awkward or whatever and I think that other some other people maybe have identity issues with it and I never have I just I always want to write a book like a children's book about that I think it'd be really cute that would be cool yeah that's important I think for me I have some short film ideas I think it would be really cool to take those ideas and those scripts that I've halfway been working on and turn those into like a graphic novel and collaborate with so I have three different stories so I would collaborate with three different artists to illustrate those stories 
And so that's in the back of my mind or something that I've put on the back burner for years now. I would like to see that, that come to life one day, hopefully sooner rather than later. We'll look forward to both books coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Put that out there. Um, Thank you both so much. I really enjoyed my time with you both. And folks, if you close your eyes, you can visualize. I I have the the delight to see these two in front of me and they're sharing an air, what do you call those? Headphones. So one person has the other and the other one has the other. And they're sitting so close to each other. You can, I can tell you, I can see the love in both of you. I can see how you both respect each other. I love how you guys lift each other. You both are raising an amazing young lady who's going to make, I know, some sort of impact in the community. Thank you so much for being generous of your time. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed as well. Thank you so much, Molina. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you you so much. much.